0: As I've said already, we had a wonderful annual meeting this year in 2023. Elders Mark Green and Adam Green, father and son from Arkansas, traveled to Zion Church and preached many wonderful messages over the course of Saturday and Sunday. Today, we're posting the last message from that meeting by Elder Adam Green. where Adam took us to the story of Naaman the Syrian in 2 Kings chapter 5. And in this sermon, he explains to us why it's always best to do it God's way. Once again, we won't have a song due to the length of the sermon, which I wanted to post in its entirety. But join us today as we hear this wonderful exposition of God's way versus man's way.
1: Turn with me, if you would, over to the fifth chapter of 2 Kings. I want to go to the familiar story here of Naaman the Syrian and look at uh, two or three points here in this passage. And I hope that the Lord will be with you and with me as we try to go through it. It says in verse 5, Now Naaman, I'm sorry, verse 1 of Second Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. So it speaks of a man who's a captain of someone who is the... Um, the enemy of Israel. We're going to find out here in just a little bit that he has been part of the captain of hosts that have led bands of marauders into the land of Israel. And, you know, by this time, you've got two separate kingdoms. You've got the kingdom of Israel and the, the ten northern tribes and the kingdom of Judah in the south that was still being led by the descendants of, of King David. And so this the Syrians would send Uh, armies into Israel and they would essentially plunder and they would take not only things back, but they would take people back as well. Now, Naaman was the leader of the armies, the captain of, of the host of the king of Syria. And the Lord had blessed him to be uh, a man of uh, tremendous, apparently tremendous uh, military intellect and ability. And the Lord had, had uh, allowed him to lead Syria in several significant victories. And it presents him as uh, a man who's a celebrity of sorts and well-respected, not just by the king, but by the people and looked up to. But then it says these little words but he was a leper. And leprosy was, at least presented in the Bible, perhaps the most feared of the diseases that were known of in that time, because it was essentially, for lack of a better description, it was decaying while you were alive. Uh, That's that's what it would, would essentially be, to put it in our terminology. And if I understand it correctly, it was very easy to transmit. It was easily catchable. And so someone who was a leper because it was such a feared disease was someone who people were afraid to associate with and afraid to be near because of the, uh, of the possibility of the transmission of that disease. So here you had a man who was extremely respected and a man who was uh, revered but he was a man who was a leper. And so therefore, uh, people would have stayed as far away as they could from him in a personal way. But apparently, this man was also a kind man. And the reason I say that is because He had in his household a young lady, a maid, who waited on his wife, and she was a young lady who had been taken as a captive out of the land of Israel at the time of of one of those marauding bands that he had led. And the reason I presume that at least in some way he was a kind man is because this young lady, who was a captive who had been essentially kidnapped from her land, had enough affection for him that she desired his good as opposed to desiring his demise. And so the Bible doesn't say that he was a kind man, but I just deduce from that and human nature being what it, what it is, that her, her intentions toward him might not have been as kind and, and as, as caring if he had been just a, a scourge in the way that he treated those around him. And it said, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. She said, I so wish, as it were, that my Lord Naaman was able to be with the prophet that is there back in my homeland in Israel there in Samaria for he, that prophet, and she's speaking of the prophet Elisha, and she says he would recover him of his leprosy. Well, someone heard her say that and goes in and tells and informs the king of Syria. And the king of Syria says, well, this this sounds great. Apparently there's some man over there in Israel that can heal the leper. So, I'm going to send Naaman over there and write a letter to the king, and we're going to have, have this problem that Naaman has taken care of. Now, the first thing that I want us to notice in this passage is that the result of the confidence that one young lady had in the prophet of her God caused people to get on camels or horses or mules, it may have been, we, I think they mentioned them particularly later, and to go to the land of Israel with an expectation that Naaman was going to be able to be healed. What a tremendous effect on the nation of Syria because of one young lady's insistence on the power of her God. I'm going to tell you something, friends. There are times that you and I might say, well, I don't, I'm really of no usefulness in the kingdom of God. I'm really of no usefulness in the church of God. There's not much that I can do. Let me tell you something, friends. We need individuals in the house of God who are willing to simply exhibit faith who are willing to simply exhibit confidence in God and to remind those uh, around them that there is nothing that is too hard for God. That's a principle that is taught uh, in the Bible. They, that there, and I want to get to that here in just a moment, that there is nothing that is too hard from God. But don't ever underestimate the influence of faith in God. Jesus Christ tells us in the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew that we're to be like a city that is set on a hill, or we're to be like a light that's been set on a candlestick where it has a visible manifestation of our confidence in God. If the only thing that anyone knows about you and about your religion is that you trust God, that's important. That's tremendously important. The Bible says, be ready to give an answer of any man that asketh you what? A reason of the hope that's within you. What, what, is, what is attractive to the little child of God who's out in the world and, and doesn't know much about the scriptures or the Bible or God is a very often someone who simply has a sincere and loving confidence in God. That is a beautiful thing to witness in the life of a child of God. And in this young woman, the simple effect of her faith has Naaman the Syrian and a host with him headed towards the courts of Samaria there in the nation of Israel, to be able to go to the king because that's who the king of Syria wrote to assuming that the king would have some the king of Israel would have some influence on whoever this prophet was so they show up at the court of the king of Israel and they give him the letter from the king of Syria and it says and he brought the letter verse 6 to the king of Israel saying now when this letter is come unto thee behold I have therewith sent Naaman and my servant to thee that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. The king of Israel reads this and he throws a fit. And he says, look, look at what he's doing. He's just trying to pick a fight with me. He said, am I supposed to be God that I can just you know, wave my hand over it and and cause him to be uh, healed of his leprosy. Look, what the king of Syria is doing is he's given me something that's impossible to do just so he can pick a fight with me whenever I don't do it. That was the king of Israel's faithless response. In verse 8 says, And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, hath heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Why have you torn your clothing in a manifestation of grief and frustration and anxiety? Let him, that's Naaman, come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Go with me, if you would, over to the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis, and I want to read a statement there to you. And the Lord said, I'm reading in Genesis 18, 13, and the Lord said unto Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything at all that is too hard for the Lord? Go with me also over into the book of Jeremiah, and let's look at a statement that's made there in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Jeremiah 32, 17. All Lord God, here's the answer. All Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Jeremiah 32, 17. There is nothing that is too hard for God. Now, I am a primitive Baptist, and I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the omniscience of God who knows everything and his understanding is infinite. I believe, profess it, preach it from the stand... The omnipotence of God, meaning that our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased and believe in the absolute power of God. And I've spent 48 years of life very often being a practicing deist, if not an outright atheist. Might as well call it what it is. Sin is sin. Sin. Because as soon as a problem comes up or a supposed problem comes up, Brother Mark can tell you he's seen me my entire life. I just, I'll, I'll start spinning. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, this is probably going to happen and internalize it, make me sick to my stomach at times. Now, I'm better at it than I used to be, but let's call sin what it is. Amen. Jesus Christ gave a command and said not to fret about tomorrow. When I do that, and I've done it a lot, I am sinning. And if you're prone to that as well, I'm not going to sugarcoat it this morning. We might as well call sin what it is. It is a sin. And in doing that, I may profess to believe In the omnipotence of God, but my actions and my attitude are at the best a form of deism. Yes, God exists, but he's not really involved in anything in my life. Or at the worst, it's no different than atheism. That sounds harsh, I know. (laughs) But just remember, I'm kicking myself in the shin first. (laughs) Is anything too hard for the Lord? nothing at all, nothing at all. And at times we need to be reminded that there is nothing that is out there that is outside the ability of God to handle. I remember one time Reem, the company that I work for, got a new, I'm in the sourcing part of the business, and they got a new vice president of sourcing and he was just evil. (laughs) I mean, he, he, he enjoyed creating as much um, anxiety and, and, and turmoil. I mean, he, he was, he, he was not a pleasant person at all and enjoyed not being it. And I was just melting down. He didn't last 60 days because before, you know, whatever that period of time is, thankfully, the guy who was his boss, which was the executive corporate vice president or something, realized that the, that the man was, was creating catastrophic hay, uh, havoc in the business and, and let him go. And I remember uh, one of the dear sisters at Revelation church at Brother James Isaac's pastors, uh, she's married to my cousin who's a deacon there, sent me a text and was kind of shaking her finger at me. She says, apparently, you need to remember that God is watching over you, Adam Green. <laughs> and I, I kept a copy somewhere in my pictures. I, I, I snapped a picture of that text and put it. We, we forget that the God that we preach, who is powerful enough to do what Brother Mark was preaching about to raise the dead in sins by the command of his voice, who's able to raise the dead in the grave at the command of his voice, is the same God who not only knows how many hairs are on your head, when one of them falls out, he knows which one it was. The very hairs of your head are numbered. He knows which one fell out. And so Elijah said, or Elisha, I'm sorry, said, I'm paraphrasing somewhat, apparently you forgot that God is still on his throne to the king, send Naaman to me. (laughs) So it says, In verse 9, so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Elisha doesn't even bother to go out and talk to him. Sends his uh, servant out, Gehazi, I think it probably was. Sends his servant out and sends a message to Naaman. And says, go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. Elijah said, tell you, go wash in in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be through with lifts. You have a good day. Goes back inside and closes the door. Naaman is furious because Naaman's an important man and he's used to be treating Brother Austin as an important man and he's furious and he says, behold, I thought. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He said, Surely I thought there would be something to this, something that was appropriate to the dignity of my person and my office. He says, Are not, He tells me to go wash in this muddy Jordan River. Are not Abana and Parfar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? If he's wanting me to take a bath, I can take a bath. We've got better rivers than this nasty old Jordan River that they have here. And he turns around, he's furious, insulted and angry, and begins to ride off. Now, Interestingly here, there's a side note on the gospel and the presentation of it. We should not expect that the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is is not going to be accepted by the masses of the world. God has chosen, the Apostle Paul says in in 1 Corinthians, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. We ought not be surprised that when the simplicity of the grace of God is preached, that many even of God's children in this world say, I don't like the sound of that. Kind of leaves me out of the equation. There's nothing in there that places me as the master of my own destiny. There's nothing here that says, look, God has done all he can, but it all rests with you. You are the ultimate seat of power and decision-making in your destiny. When the simplicity of the gospel is preached, it's not about me, and it's not about you, it's not about man, it is all about God. Man's natural reaction, even regenerate man's natural, rea- natural reaction is to go, I don't like the sound of that. That's <laughs> not, not grand enough for me. It's not complex enough for me. And man, even regenerate man responds like Naaman did and says, no, there's, there's got to be something that puts me a little bit more at the center of everything. And so he turns away in a huff. And again, going back to my premise that apparently he, in general, he must have been a kind man. His, some of his soldiers or his servants there um, go to him and they go to him because they desire that he'd be healed of his leprosy. You know, that you don't see any, well, good, he's getting what we hoped he'd get. So So there are things I presume about the character of Naaman and just the way those that were subordinate to him react to him. And they came up to him and they said this. My father, I'm in verse 13, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? If he had come to you and said, if you'll bring me the chin hairs of a mountain goat, three feathers from a golden eagle, and the the stones that are only found at the edge of this particular volcano, and bring that back to me as a token. Then you'll be healed of your leprosy. If said he had told you to do something hard like that, you'd have done it, right? <laughs> so why not at least do this small thing that he's been given that he's given you to do? How much rather then, when he said unto thee, wash? And be clean. And then verse 14, then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. Now I want you to imagine that scene for a moment. Naaman goes into the Jordan River. You got to go into the Jordan River to dip yourself into the water, which is why in the scriptures, Whenever Philip and the eunuch or John the Baptist and Jesus went into the water, you know they were baptizing by immersion because you have to do that to be able to be dipped under the water. So Naaman goes into the Jordan River. And he dips himself down under the water one time and he comes up. And Naaman's still a leper. He looks at his hands and still sees those spots of leprosy on him. His servants see his face and they still see the, uh, the decay of leprosy that's there on his cheeks. And they look at him and they shake their head, no, you're still a leper. He goes under the water a second time and he comes up and he's still a leper. He goes under the water a third time, comes up. He's still a leper. The fourth time, the fifth time. The sixth time he comes up out of the water, he's still a leper. At what point in there would I, or you, if the shoe fits, have said, this isn't working? (laughs) The fourth time, maybe? The fifth time? The sixth time, probably, Brother Chris, I'd say, I've tried it this many times, He's probably over there in the bushes somewhere watching me with a bag of popcorn and laughing as he sees the general of the armies of Syria making a fool of himself in this Jordan River. We do that sometimes, don't we? We'll go to the Word of God and God's commands about how to handle something in life are clearly and explicitly stated to us. And we try it once. Or we try it twice, maybe even try it three or four times, and we say, God's way is just not working. Yeah. There's got to be a different way of doing this because I've tried it God's way several times and it just doesn't work. Here's how God says I'm supposed to interact with that husband of mine who is just, uh, you know, he's a, he's a fool and, he's, and he, he doesn't ever listen to me. He doesn't treat me the way I ought to be treated. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it right back to him. I know God's word says for me to, uh, to try to win him by the, my way of life and faithfulness, but I've tried it God's way and it just didn't work. Or God says that I should be um, continuing to bring my my child into the house of God and, and, you know, I haven't heard a sermon. I remember Sister Ashley telling me that when the twins were born. She said, Adam, I haven't heard a sermon in two years. I don't know why I'm going to church anymore. You know, we'll we'll attempt to do something God's way and when we don't see immediate success go, you know, this isn't working. But the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, and be not weary in well-doing, for in due season, in God's timeline, we shall reap if we faint not. He came up the sixth time out of that water and he was still a leper. What would have happened if he had given up then? Six times, that seems like a lot of times to go down into the water. What if he had given up after that sixth time and says, you know what, this is ridiculous. I've done more than enough trying it the way of the God of Israel. I'm through. Guys, we're going back to Damascus. But he didn't. He went down underneath the water one more time, that seventh time. And the Bible says, and his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. All of a sudden, he's not a leper anymore. All of a sudden, he's been cleansed of that naturally horrific disease. And he returned unto the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing. Let me give you a gift of a reward. And Elisha wouldn't take it. Now, there's a story that goes on later where Gehazi tries to get some of it. And as a result, he gets the, uh, the gift of Naaman's leprosy put on him. But I'm not going to go into that part of the story. But look at verse 17. And Naaman said Elisha refused to take the reward, basically, that Naaman wanted to give him. So Naaman said, would you at least do this for me? He said, Naaman said, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant? He said, will you allow me to take back with me two mules burden of earth for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. Two mules burden. He said, would you let me load up two mules with as much dirt as they can carry? Because he wanted to build an altar to God and he didn't want that altar to be made up of Damascus dirt. He wanted it to be made up of Israel's dirt. Let me tell you something, friends. My heart's desire, I trust, and yours, I see by your your faithfulness and your desire to worship him. I want my worship of God, our worship of God, not to be made up of the things of this world. There's a song that I I don't think it's in this hymnal. It's in the hymnal, that uh, the old Casey book that we use at home. A song that I used to not like at all because I I didn't understand it. It's a hymn that's called To Play on the Golden Harp. Brother Mark probably knows the one I'm talking about. To play on the golden harp. I want to be where Jesus is. I used to detest that song because I thought... We're not going to get up to heaven and be floating around on clouds and playing on some golden harp. And I thought it was just a a travesty of hymn writing until one day I finally sat down and read the lyrics and I discovered it's a a wonderful hymn. Because it doesn't have anything at all to do with heaven. He's talking about worship. And essentially what he's saying is, whenever I come to worship God, I don't want to do that with the things of this world. I want to worship with the new man that's inside of me. And he's using the analogy of playing on the golden harp to worship with that regenerated, that nature that's given to us in regeneration. I want to understand what the songwriter was saying. I love the hymn now because it's an appropriate desire when we come together for worship. I want to worship God. We want to worship God not with the things of this earth, not with the things of this world, not with the things that gratify the flesh and the nature of man. I want to worship God with the things of God. Want to worship God with the with the uh, uh, the voices that God has made to be able to sing praises to him on an instrument that he made. Last night in the McCool home, got to, le- to hear uh, Brother Seth and, and Brother Austin and, and, and uh, Brother Chris playing on the guitars, and it sounds great. I wish I could do it. I loved hearing the sound of it, but I don't want to hear it in here. In here, I only wanna hear instruments used that were made directly by God. I wanna hear voices lifted in praise to God with hearts and souls that are tuned by God. You understand? And I wanna hear the preaching of a gospel That doesn't make the flesh say, wow, that was wildly entertaining. Brother Adam can sure tell a good story. Brother Adam, he's so funny, he makes me laugh. I don't want to be able to please your natural uh, natures, the man by nature. I want your souls to go, God touched me through the message that the man of God brought today. I want to have two mules burden of earth where the soul of the child of God is able to worship God with the things of God and not the things of this world. He said, will you let me take back two mules' burden of earth? Naaman learned a wonderful lesson in that chapter, that there is no God but the God of Israel. I'm gonna tell you, friends, there is one true and living God, just one. There's a lot of fake gods that we may prop up in our lives from time to time. There are fake, you know, we, listen to me, there's not a single one of us here that's immune from idolatry. We may not carve literal idols out of gold or silver or or wood, but every single one of us has something or some things in our life that attempt to threaten ascendancy over our commitment to God. And anything that attempts to, to compete for our affection and for our adoration with God is an idol. Doesn't matter what we call it, but it's an idol. But there is only one person. That, that's the Bible's word, so I'm gonna use it that way because it says the Lord Jesus Christ is the express image of his person, the Father's person. Only one person, only one being. That really and truly is God. And that is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Ancient of Days, our first great cause and last great end, as the uh, the Catechism said in one place. The Lord of Glory, Jehovah, the one true and living God, who stood on the precipice of nothing and created everything, continuing to uphold it by the word of his power. He alone is God. I love you and I hope it's been of some benefit to you.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates.